and I moved from being a healthy skeptical to really hopeful in terms of education after being involved with Citizens' Assembly in Scotland. If you want to know more about that process, I will point you to Susie Townend over there, who was the lead in the Scottish Secretariat for that process. Political elites in the UK have never looked more out of touch than they do today. Despite this, in Scotland, we see a Climate Citizens' Assembly that is working with experts to come up with ideas for achieving a lower carbon, cleaner and fairer society. In this episode, I'm speaking with the Secretariat of the Scottish Climate Assembly, Susie Townsend, who has overseen the creation of the first report to the Scottish Parliament, guided by experts but very much created by ordinary folks from across the country. The Scottish Parliament is reviewing the report submitted by the Assembly and will respond with feedback by the end of this year. Given the Scottish Government's positive signals given during COP26 in Glasgow on their commitment to loss and damage funding for vulnerable nations, there is some confidence that they are taking the Assembly's input seriously. This kind of informed approach places empathy, justice and inclusion at the heart of the policy-making process. It also acknowledges that involving citizens increases momentum towards shaping a world we actually want to live in. Thank you for listening. This whole project is now under the name of ClimateGen, and the archive of work can be seen at gen.cc. You can support this work via patreon.com gencc, and you can also subscribe on YouTube and all of the main podcasts and social media channels. Susie, it's lovely to meet you, and thank you for taking the time to speak to me. And can we just start, you're the Secretariat of the Scottish Climate Assembly. Can you start by telling us exactly what that is and how it fits into the grand scheme? Yeah, I know. Um, so the Scottish Climate Assembly came about through the 2019 Climate Change Act when the Scottish Parliament was considering whether they should change the targets and various other aspects of Scotland's climate ambition. And there was a Green Party amendment came through which recommended the setting up of a climate assembly, um, which we actually received cross-party support. So all the parties in the Scottish Parliament voted in favour of setting up a citizens' assembly on climate change. And I was tasked with um, being responsible for setting up that assembly. So we have just over 100 members who are representative of Scotland in terms of age, ethnicity, whereabouts in Scotland they live, whether they live in a rural area, that sort of thing, and very importantly their attitudes to climate change. And they came together starting back in November last year for a period of seven weekends when they heard from various speakers and most importantly brought their own lived experience um, and, and their own their own views into their discussions with each other. And then they have produced 81 recommendations, 16 goals and a statement of ambition, which they then laid in the Scottish Parliament. And under the terms of the Act, the, the Assembly is independent, but government ministers are required to respond to the report of the Assembly and they have six months to do that. So we're in that kind of waiting phase where we put the, the report to the Parliament in June and so ministers have until middle of or end of December to, to reply. So we're waiting to see um, exactly what they say to, to the members' um, recommendations. Okay, that's interesting. And in terms of the structure of the assembly, of who's involved, I mean, one of the big things problems we've got is the sense of urgency, and you know, some parts, of, some members of the public get it, and others are not engaged. How have you dealt with that 
Yeah, so it was really important for us that the members were representative in terms of that sense of urgency. And so we used data which we've collected in Scotland for several years around attitudes to climate change. And we made sure that our members absolutely reflected that. So, of course, some members came in knowing a lot about climate change. I would say that was definitely the minority. Some people came in knowing absolutely nothing about climate change. Some people came in a bit sceptical, actually, about climate change. And together they learned from experts, nothing was assumed. We started absolutely from the beginning and took people through a process of learning about climate change. And then importantly, learning about Scotland's contribution to climate change and what Scotland could do to change. And the question that um, they were tasked with answering was how should Scotland change to tackle the climate emergency in an effective and fair way? And you'll see there's quite a lot of things bundled into that, that, that sentence. Um, but it was very important that we started, albeit with some people who were sceptical about climate change, but we absolutely started from the premise that, that Scotland is committed to changing to tackle climate change and how should we go about that? So that was the question. And even if you're sceptical about the process, if you know there has to be change, then you want to have a voice and influence in how that change happens. Um, and we had fantastic engagement um, from our members and, and very little drop off throughout the process of quite a long, intensive process through some of those dark days of lockdown. Members still okay. persisted with the assembly and, and making their recommendations. I mean, you mentioned the word emergency. Most countries, or I think all countries, are basically failing on bending their emissions to the to the Paris Agreement. How do you mould the Assembly or guide the Assembly to try and get your efforts to align with that? Is that part of this emergency planning? So they were told about the Paris Agreement, they were told about the undertakings that Scotland and, and the UK and, and other countries um, have made as part of the Paris Agreement. They were also told about our Climate Change Act and the targets that Scotland has, which are slightly different from those in the rest of the UK. For example, our net zero target is actually 2045, and we have a target of 75% reduction by 2030. So they were told about that. Um, but the real focus was on all the things that we have to do to change. So, so Scotland, you know, Scotland does consider itself often to be a leader in many of these things. And you know, the targets are challenging targets. But for the last three years, Scotland has missed its annual targets. So within those targets, there's also annual targets. And the last three years, Scotland has actually missed those targets. And so there's something around, all, all right, you can set a target, but you also need to have a plan to achieve it. Um, and in Scotland, there is something called the climate change plan, but clearly that's not doing enough because otherwise we wouldn't be missing our targets. And what the Assembly is able to contribute is, is effectively a mandate from, from the people of Scotland who are a mini Scotland, representative of Scotland, for a way to, to change. And that, that change is so important. We do have to change to meet our climate ambition. So if you're missing your targets, what's the main challenge? What, what's the problem? So I think um, there are three main areas which together make up a big bulk of the emissions in Scotland. And those are heating our homes, transport, travelling around, and our diet and land use. Transport is actually the biggest one. It's probably about 40% of our emissions in Scotland, and of that, about 40% is through private cars. 
um, and we're not doing enough. The Scottish Government has brought in the target of, of reducing the amount of car travel. I think our members would say that was a good start, but they would like to see a bit more. And their recommendations absolutely focused on nudging and incentivising people away from using cars while recognising that there will be some people, and particularly in Scotland, where you do have to use a car some, for some occasions. So perhaps you live in a rural area, perhaps you um, are living with a disability. There are reasons when you might need to use a private car, but for the majority of people, for the majority of journeys, we can't keep using cars and we can't keep flying. So there are the very specific recommendations around making cheaper and free public transport, for example, introducing a frequent flyer levy, but with the frequent flyer levy, there's a little tweak to it where you can have your first flight free without having to worry about the, the emissions, but after that, you have to start paying a levy. And so the idea is recognising that in Scotland we're quite an open society. We have quite a lot of people that have come to live in Scotland to make Scotland their home that don't come from Scotland. They have families they want to visit. So we understand that for, for those people, for our island communities, there is a need to fly. But what we need to do is not fly as often. It, it can't be the default. These sorts of meetings that you and I are doing now um, have to become much more the norm rather than always traveling to, to right. the meeting and investing in alternative fuels and thinking about carbon labeling so that people can see immediately at the point that they buy their ticket they buy a plane ticket a train ticket a bus ticket what the carbon impact of, of that is so that they can make choices which are better for the for the climate because we know that people care you know what we what we hear from people is that they really care and they want to make a difference they don't want to continue doing things which are damaging but sometimes they just don't know what the best choices are so heating transport diet and land use are the three kind of big areas that really we need to to start tackling what about the gas and oil industry yeah. in scotland because i mean that's kind of a famous part of scotland's <laughs> it's it is and i think one thing which I would say is that members were absolutely clear that we need to um, move out of fossil fuel use. And, and I'll just tell you what the, exactly what they said. So they said eradicating the use of fossil fuel is a priority. We believe everyone has a part to play in minimising the amount of energy we use and to maximising the use of renewables. And so absolutely they were clear we need to stop using fossil fuels. But what they were also clear about was that they did not want to leave anybody behind. And in Scotland, we have a Just Transition Commission who came and spoke to the Assembly. And we also heard from various groups who wanted to tell the Assembly members about the need to provide support to transition. And the Assembly members were incredibly enthusiastic about it and made several recommendations around reskilling, retraining. And not just starting at the point where people are young, leaving school, perhaps leaving university and college, but retraining people, thinking about how existing skills could be repurposed. Some of the most um, challenging recommendations that they made were actually around retrofitting our homes. And that's part of this transition that, that we need 
skilled people to to manage the retrofit of our homes in a way which actually achieves the objectives that we want and so providing opportunities to reskill in refitting in the wind industry which Scotland I think is is described as the windiest country in Europe and has about 25% of the wind available in the whole of Europe and when I started out a long time ago I trained as a forester and we were told then that Scotland was the windiest country in the world where trees were growing for profit and it is a huge resource we need to pivot and I think quite previously we thought of Scotland as the oil and gas industry as being a great national resource we need to re-pivot some of that thinking to think about some of our other resources that we can use that are much more sustainable and will will fund this transition for us Okay, there's a lot to be done and obviously time is of the essence. I would say that what we are providing, what the 70 members have provided is a blueprint. So it's really it's not really for, for the assembly members to give to give a plan. They are ordinary members of the public who are now incredibly well informed. Um, but it's not for them to give a plan and it's not for them to do everything. You know, it's not something to be done at individual level, it's something which government, industry, business, communities, everybody together has to do. But what they have provided is a blueprint, including some things which they have said should happen immediately. So things like they've made a recommendation that all public sector food should be low carbon. And that means the food in our schools, the food in our hospitals, the food in, in government offices, all of these things. That's something which could, could be pivoted immediately. They've suggested that we declare the travel and carbon impact immediately. They've suggested that we start to implement the fuel poverty strategy immediately, which will help to, to reduce the amount of money people have to spend on heating their homes and also the amount of carbon emissions. They've suggested changing the planning regulations to think about using buildings that are already there and repurposing them rather than creating new buildings with all the embedded carbon that that comes with. They want to immediately increase the planting of of trees, including increasing the amount of native trees. They want to restore peatland. There are so many things that they want to do immediately and they can see being done immediately, but they do recognise that there are some things which will take a little bit longer, but that doesn't mean that they can be put off a little bit longer. We need to start doing them now and putting the systems in place for them now so that they can work through in the next and quite a lot of the recommendations say, by 2030, which is the point where we want to have 75% reduction according to the Climate Change Act, then we need to have done these things. And some of these things are really very challenging, like all the homes in Scotland being um, up to passive house standard or new build being passive house standard. Um, so really, you know, quite a big challenge. And so that's why they were giving actually not that long, only nine years to achieve that huge revolution. Are you confident? I mean, if you if you look at your government, are you confident that they're going to take your blueprint and say, yeah, we're going to do this? Or are they going to be like other governments we won't mention and just sort of say, yeah, we'll do it and then throw it over their shoulder. I think I think we're still waiting to see what government says. But what I would say is that I'm confident that they're engaging seriously with the recommendations so far. And I think that's all that, you know, it's reasonable for me to say at this point. So we've had a series of meetings between the ministers. I think we've now seen 17 ministers and cabinet secretaries with our assembly members and with the children's parliament, which is the other part which we haven't yet touched on, where we embedded the views of 
children aged 10 to 14, they were part of our assembly, they fed into the assembly, their recommendations are, are part of our report, and we expect and hope that government will respond to, to their calls to action, they've called them, at the same time as they respond to our recommendations. So we brought our children and the assembly members together with ministers, so that ministers could hear from the members what the recommendations were, but more importantly, why they had made them and why they were important. And my hope and expectation and understanding is that now Scottish government is, is really working through those recommendations very seriously. And we hope that the, the response will be as serious and considered as the Assembly members' recommendations were when they made them back in, back in March. There is a trend now, I think, of engaging citizens much more in decision making. And what I hope is that means that when governments go to the negotiation, they're negotiating with the support of their members rather than in fear of what their citizens might say, that they then have to go back and sell something which they think might be difficult to, to their citizens. That rather they feel that they are doing what their citizens have asked them, have mandated them to do through processes like the Assembly, and that they feel emboldened to make um, perhaps more um, dramatic commitments than, than they otherwise would if they were separated from their citizens in that way. So I guess that's kind of what, where I think um, assemblies okay. have a contribution to make to, to that kind of policy making. So you think maybe the, the aside from the, the blueprint for climate action, there's a blueprint for sort of a, how society responds or engages or has agency in dealing with this issue? Maybe absolutely. The... Yeah, absolutely. And I, th I think that is a really positive thing that actually, I guess, you know, sitting back and watching as our members debated and discussed, I was really struck by how, how, how clever they are, how they were able to take on such complex information, but how, also how considerate they were, how they wanted to listen to, to other views, how they wanted to consider the impact on, on marginalised groups, and how they wanted to make good decisions. And now they have an expectation that those recommendations will really be listened to and that that will genuinely influence policy. And I think, you know, from what we hear, Scottish Government is absolutely committed to having more citizens' assemblies and other things. And so my expectation is that this will genuinely inform policymaking. And that's really exciting. I hope it spreads south to England because I think uh, they're struggling down there. I think in Scotland... There is a different approach, you know, for sure. There is, there is a different approach. I mean, it's not that everything is, is, is perfect here, but I think there is more consultation just across the board and more consensus building. Our co-convener, Rhys Harvey, says, nothing about us without us is for us. And I think that's a really strong little epithet to, to say you cannot... You cannot do things to us or for us without talking to us about what will work for us. And actually, you have much better policy making if you have citizens at the heart of it absolutely influencing it because, because they're the ones that know their lives best. That's an excellent place to wind up. So thank you very much.
Thanks again for listening. If you are interested to help support this series and help expand the discussion around climate topics, then please do consider backing my channel via Patreon. It will help me produce more content and you will also gain access to more expert interviews. It would be great to engage more with audiences too and understand your views on these topics. Thank you.